Well, thank you for the privilege to bring God's Word to us this evening. Um, turn, please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 8. We looked at another psalm um, this morning, of course, um, and it's always good to look at the psalms for comfort, for instruction. So we're going to look at Psalm 8. <clears throat> this, is, of course, is a familiar psalm, and, and in it we have an example of praise and instruction on how to praise and in this psalm, David demonstrates praise that just seems to burst forth from his heart. He doesn't seem to be able to contain the praise that's within him, coming from a heart full of love and devotion for God. So let us pray and ask God's blessing upon the reading and the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word and the way it speaks to us today. Thank you that it is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. Lord, may your word cut out the dross that's in our hearts and purify us, and may we be encouraged through it, Lord. It is inspired, and we pray that you would work among us tonight through the preaching of your word. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 8, to the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word. One of the things that's always intrigued and fascinated me is the study of astronomy, and especially as it results to space travel. Um, I just love to learn about the, the things that um, people went through as they were studying and approaching the, um, the quest for, for space, whether it was to orbit the Earth or put a man on the moon. And, and thinking about the universe was something that the psalmist seemed to love to do as well. I I imagine David as a shepherd boy, you know, looking at the stars and contemplating the, the vastness of the universe and, and uh, being amazed at how great God is. And he shows us that the contemplation of the enormity, the vastness of God's creation should lead us not, of course, not to reflect upon man's achievement, but upon God who made it all. And I've titled this sermon this evening, Praising God's Majestic Name. Because here God, in in this psalm, David gives us three clear ways that God's glory and majesty is revealed. 
It's revealed in the small and the weak. It's revealed in the great and the far. And it's revealed in mankind. And as we stop and think about these things, we can, we can better understand why we need to praise God. And this psalm gives us language in which we can praise God as well. Notice that the psalm begins and ends with the same two lines. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. With these words, David just seems to burst forth in praise to Yahweh, as though his mind was already overflowing with praise, and he just had to have an outlet for the praise that was in his heart. Notice also that in our text that the word Lord is in all caps. I'm sure you know this, but let me remind you that that refers to the name Yahweh, the covenant name of God. This was the name revealed in Exodus 3 when he revealed himself more fully to Moses and to the people through his name. Some translators prefer to translate that as the covenant Lord or Lord of the covenant. I mention that to say that this word here, Lord, should remind us of the covenant promises of God himself where he says that you shall be my people and I will be your God. Here the psalmist is reminding himself and us of the same thing, that the Lord of the covenant is king over the whole creation. He says that his majesty penetrates all the earth. It is everywhere. There is nowhere that God isn't. There is nothing outside of his control, as Fred reminded us this morning. It's, as, as Abraham Kuyper said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. God in his majesty rules over all of his creation. And in this first verse, David reminds us that he has set his glory above the heavens. In the Jewish mind, there were kind of three levels of the heavens. There was the heavens where, where you could observe the birds flying. There was the heavens above that where the, that contained the sun and the moon and the stars. And above that was the highest heaven where they considered that God dwelt. His glory, God's glory is set above all of these. William Plummer said in his commentary, Neither one nor all of these can contain him. His glory is above them all, and yet his glory is on them all. In the heavens above and all around us in this earth are evidences of his glory and majesty. And we see in verse 2 that the first way that the psalmist gives us that reveals God's glory is in the weak and the small. God uses even the voices of babies and infants to bring him praise and put to silence the opposition of his enemies. Think about in Matthew 21, where Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and the people were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. And then afterwards, we read how Jesus cleansed the temple, and the children were still repeating that phrase, as children often do, repeating things that they heard. This was much to the chagrin of the, of the scribes. <clears throat> and they became indignant and complained to Jesus. Jesus replied in the words of this psalm saying from verse 2, Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. In other words, Jesus was telling the scribes, This is just how it should be. That these children are praising him. Christ was also, of course, showing 
His divinity, that He is God, and that the same praise that is ascribed to Yahweh in Psalm 2 is ascribed to Christ, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in Matthew 21. And isn't this God's way of raising up the weak and the insignificant to bring Him praise? Think about Mary when she heard that she was to bear the Christ child. She said, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. The words of Hannah are are very similar, honestly, to the words of Mary. When she sang praise to God after she had been blessed with the child Samuel. The Apostle Paul reminds us also of God's ways of using the weak and the insignificant. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God uses the weak and the small to bring Him praise. That means even the most unlikely people like you and me can bring Him praise. And we can offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. David also tells us that God's glory is revealed in the great and the far. Look with me at verses 3 and 4, where David says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? This language makes us think of back to Genesis chapter 1, the creation, <clears throat> where God spoke the universe into existence. And Here the psalmist is not using language that is necessarily theologically descriptive in speaking of God forming the earth, but it's merely accommodating the creation to our understanding. Like a craftsman who shapes and molds his creation or his his workmanship or his art into something useful and beautiful, so God has fashioned this glorious creation in which we live even though He is a spirit and without bodily parts. He has fashioned this world by the word of His power into an infinite yet orderly world. When we look at the stars, it should carry our hearts upward to lead us to praise the God who made it all. And there's intricate order um, to God's creation. And it's, it's, it's beyond our comprehension, the immensity of God's creation. I remember several years ago, I was on a camp out with my sons in central Kansas. And we were fortunately away from a lot of, of uh, light pollution. And we could see the stars really well. And <clears throat> we were gazing at the stars because we had opportunity. It was a clear night. And one of the dads had some really great night vision binoculars. And I was looking at the stars, and then I was able to use those and tried to look in the same spot in the sky, and I was astonished. It was though I was not looking at the same sky, because the stars that previously I could barely see became so bright. It was like another layer of stars that I could see. Scientists tell us that, that there's about two trillion galaxies out there. And each galaxy is an average of 100 million stars. 
So that's a whole bunch. 10 to the 19th power. That should make us feel very small. And that was exactly the feeling expressed by Neil Armstrong when he viewed the earth from the moon. He said, it suddenly struck me that that tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the earth. I put, my, put up my thumb and shut one eye, and my thumb blotted out the planet earth. He said, I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. And we should. As we contemplate the vastness of God's creation... We should recognize how small we are in relation to God and the world he has made. He's created a universe so massive, we've never found the edge of it. God constantly reminds us of his greatness in the world he has made. And it should lead us to praise. We can also identify with David in light of that, that God would consider mankind, that he would consider us as human beings, seven billion of us living on this tiny pea in space. In awe, we wonder why, oh God, have you remembered me? Why would God, whose creation cannot be measured by mankind, who is small and insignificant in comparison with the world? It's said of John Newton Newton, that he went through a period of time in his life that he worried that that God would consider him or that God might forget him altogether. I appreciated what, what was said this morning in the sermon, that we tend to think that because there's these other calamities, because Irma is headed for Florida, that God may not care about us here. Or because our home wasn't flooded, that God may not care about our needs but God cares about all of us. He has made us, and he's made us in his image, and that's the way his glory is shown in mankind. We see it in verses 5 to 8 that mankind was made a little lower than the angels. Some have translated this that man has been made for a little while lower than the angels because it tells us in Luke 20 that, that we will somehow be equal with angels in glory. God's majesty and glory is shown in the image of God that we bear in us and in the dominion that we share. Every man, woman, or child who has ever lived is created in God's image. Genesis 1.26 tells us that God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. To be made in the image of God is to somehow reflect something of what God is like. Of course, we are not God. He is the creator. We are the creation. He is infinite. We are finite. He exists in himself, and we are dependent and derived from him. However, as God is a relational communicating being, so he has made us to be. The same verse in Genesis 1 goes on to speak of the dominion that man has, is to have over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven and the the, the animals upon the earth. This language is very similar to verses 7 and 8 of our text. Man reflects God's glory and majesty in that he has been made a ruler over God's creation. And before the fall, of course, this subjection was perfect. Before the fall, Adam and Eve reflected God's glory perfectly until they sinned. Calvin notes that what David here relates in this psalm, 
belongs property, properly to the beginning of the creation when man's nature was perfect. End of quote. But all of this was marred by the fall. The beauty of God's image was, was scarred in man. All mankind, by their fall, lost communion with God and are under His wrath and curse and so made liable to all the miseries of this life, to death itself and to the pains of hell forever, our catechism tells us. Because of this, we need a Savior. We need one to bear the penalty of our sins because they are too great. We could never pay for our sins. Therefore, God sent His Son. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the ultimate revelation of God's glory is in the person of Jesus Christ. Psalm 8 is really about Jesus. The author of Hebrews shows us this, because in Hebrews chapter 2, it talks about the humanity, but also the authority of Christ. This chapter says that Christ in His incarnation was made a little lower than the angels for just a little while, but is now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of His death. One commentator has rightly observed of Psalm 8 that we can here be reminded of the first Adam and of his offspring and of the exalted rank and dominion of man over all the creation, the creatures of God upon this earth. But we shall yet in a more striking manner be reminded of him who as the second Adam, the Lord from heaven, has been placed in glorious majesty at the head of a new creation, which consisting of redeemed and sanctified men shall reflect that luster of His matchless beauty and excellence through all eternity. God gave great authority and dominion to Adam and to his posterity, but they sinned, they failed. But the authority and dominion of Christ is perfect and everlasting. Mankind is a reflection of God, but a reflection that is marred by sin. We need a sinless Savior, one who perfectly shows us who God is. Listen to these words from Colossians 1 that I I know are familiar but are just so wonderful to repeat. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Christ has conquered. Christ has won. We do not yet, this day, see everything in subjection to Him, but we will. There's a not yet aspect to that victory that Christ has won. But the final victory is coming when He will put all His and our enemies under His feet. The goal of this message this evening, and and I think of Psalm 8, is to help us praise the name of God. As our eyes consider the heavens, our hearts should be lifted to praise God along with the psalmist. But what if you can't see the stars? What if the skies are not clear like they were on that Kansas night for me a few years ago? What if when you look up all you see are clouds and rain that won't stop falling it seems? What if you feel like the flood is going to sweep you away? I know that's where some of you have been and maybe still are. My prayer is that we can praise God in the storm. 
that we can see His mercy falling with the rain. Even when it's raining, we can praise. We can praise God knowing He is in control and that above everything, He is there. We can lift our eyes to the One who made heaven and earth, remembering that He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever, it says in Psalm 121. The God who made us is the God who redeems us. And the God who redeems us is the God who will keep us. God's glory is revealed in the weak and the small. It's revealed in the far and the great. It's revealed in mankind who was given dominion over creation yet is tarnished by sin. And His glory is revealed ultimately and best in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Who, ha- who is our Savior and has authority over sin. That should lead us to praise. That great salvation that is ours through the sinless life and substitutionary death of Christ our Savior. It should lead us to love and sing and wonder at the great salvation we have through Jesus Christ. As I close, listen to these words of this hymn we're going to sing in just a minute by John Newton. Let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He has washed us with His blood. He has brought us nigh to God. Let us love the Lord who bought us, pitied us when enemies, called us by His grace and taught us, gave us ears and gave us eyes. He has washed us with His blood. He presents our souls to God. Listen to this third verse. Let us sing, though fierce temptation threaten hard to bear us down. For the Lord, our strong salvation, holds in view the conqueror's crown. He who washed us with His blood soon will bring us home to God. Let us wonder, grace and justice join and point to mercy's store. When through grace in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. He who washed us with His blood has secured our way to God. Let us praise and join the chorus Of the saints enthroned on high, here they trusted Him before us. Now their praises fill the sky. They say, you have washed us with your blood. You are worthy, Lamb of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the example and the instruction of Psalm 8 to teach us and lead us to praise. Give us grace that we might praise You in every circumstance, in every storm knowing that you are sovereign over all, that your universe is beyond our comprehension, and yet you love us and you've made us for your glory. Help us to fulfill that purpose that we have. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.